and welcome to Her Voice, a podcast from The Choice, the media powered by ESCP Business School and dedicated to decision makers. My name is Emily Oliarchuk, and I'm from The Choice's editorial team. Her Voice is guided by one really important mission, to give the mic to women experts whose visions have transcended the competitive world of business, shaking things up for the better. Today, you'll be hearing the voice of Elodie Andriot, an entrepreneur, author, and alumna of ESCP's Specialized Masters in Entrepreneurship. From early in her career, Elodie has had the desire to promote exceptional women, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and achievers. After studying at ESCP, she decided to launch in 2019 her own ephemeral media and podcast, Madame, through successful partnerships with renowned French media such as Les Echos and BFM Business. Most recently, Elodie published the book Patron Tête à Tête avec les Numéro Une, which in English translates to one-on-one with the female CEOs. Published by Albin Michel this October, Patron provides a collection of 52 interviews with women CEOs of all types, from large companies to startups, regardless of their age, background, or industry. What do all of these women have in common, you may ask? Well, Elodie is here to tell us exactly that. Elodie is Franco-British, and despite currently sharing her time between the UK and France, today she is in the studio with us here in Paris. Hi, Elodie. Thank you so much for joining us on Her Voice. Hi, thank you so much for having me. There's a lot I want to talk about, and I have your book right here in front of me on the table. But we'd like to kick off the podcast to get to know a little bit about the woman behind The Voice. Like the women you've interviewed in your latest book, it seems that you, too, are an unstoppable force. What would you say keeps you going, gets you up every morning to, whether it's to go to class for your MBA or whether it's to promote this book, what keeps you going every morning? Well, I've got a double objective right now in my life, and it's sort of like two different lives. <laughs> um, I've got this life in Paris where I'm currently promoting this book, and uh, what gets me up every morning is the dozens of messages that I've been receiving from women all over France saying thank you for writing this book about female CEOs that really inspired me and uh, that gave me the bus that I needed. <laughs> so that's one bit. And the other bit is, you know, going to Oxford, where I'm currently doing an MBA, learning new things, learning about, you know, corporate finance, which I have no idea about, <laughs> uh, challenging myself, uh, being in that intellectual stimulating environment where we can find new ideas uh, to really just answer, you know, the current challenges, whether that's, you know, climate or uh, other types of impact. Um, and that is, you know, that w that is really what gets me up every day right now. Let's dive in a little deeper to that first life, the first life that you're living at the moment, uh, your book, Patron. What was the spark? What was the moment where you realized I need to write this? Well, actually, it all started at ESCP, to be honest. Um, I was, you know, um, in school. Uh, so we're back in 2018, right after Me Too. The media is talking a lot about, uh, you know, um, violence that is, you know, and, and, and women. And that's great. Uh, what I was more interested in, uh, because I was doing a master's in entrepreneurship, was women within the economic environment. And I felt like that was a subject that wasn't covered, that, 
you know, we were trying to get more and more women to speak in class, but mainly it was men because the ecosystem is, you know, very masculine within that startup environment. And on top of that, I do have five nieces that are today aged six to 18. And I realized talking to them that their role models were mainly from the entertainment world. And, you know, these are the women in the spotlight. These are the women celebrated. And I wondered, you know, where are the female CEOs? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's hard enough. I mean, if you're asking anyone in the street, can you name a male, you know, a CEO? It's going to be tough. But a female CEO, I mean, it's like no one will be able to give you that answer. And I certainly wasn't able to give, you know, that answer. So we started laughing about it. And I felt like, well, you know, on a selfish basis, I kind of want to meet this woman. Like, how did they make it? Um, you know, how can I follow their steps? Um, and so we started with uh, my associate at the time, Daria. Uh, a It was a student media. Uh, it was a bit of a joke. You know, it was called Madame. It had a little, had a little play of words with N at the end. Uh, it's like, damn girl. And, you know, we sent a few emails uh, to female CEOs, uh, including Mer- who is the head of BATC, which is very, it's a big uh, advertising company. Um, and, you know, that created Come As You Are for McDonald's, for example. And I sent her an email. I guessed her email address with my ESCP, you know, email account. I felt she is never going to answer. And the day after we got all answers and it was all yes. And I'm like, oh my God, actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need, actually need to do this thing. Um, so I realized that there was a subject. Um, I started meeting this woman. We started interviewing them. Uh, we all did it for free. And then the French media, Les Echo, which is sort of like the French Financial Times, uh, you know, started to get interested in it. And then TV started to get interested in it. And I realized that they were lacking content, that, you know, there was a need for content for that. Um, and, uh, and that's how it all started. So you start off your book, actually, that we're 50 women are 52 percent of the French population. And so besides being like the majority, women only run seven percent of large companies and raise only 12 percent of startup funds. Which is not surprising because in running her voice, you know, we come across this kind of statistic, whether it's in France or it's on a global scale. Um I'm curious, after having all of these interviews and and the research you've done on this space and what's happening, what are some of the reasons that you've seen that explain why we still have this large gap today? I think the main one um, is something that we call maternity. (laughs) Uh, And it's so true. I mean, I'm 34. I'm right in that decade where you're supposed to have kids, maybe. I mean, a lot of people want to have kids. And, you know, on one hand, you've got women, if there's you know, if it's their third child in France, they're out for 26 weeks. Fathers are going to be out for 32 days max. Uh, women at that time tend to uh, step back a little bit, just like, you know, Sherry uh, Sanders said, 72% of the domestic charge is still on women and the devil is in those little details you know it's like it's that doctor appointment it's you know it's the saturday grocery shopping and all of that means that women tend to just step back or companies 
push them back during that time. Meanwhile, it's the time to be operational. It's the time to actually, you know, be on it. Uh, so that's one of the big reasons. The second reason is there's a lack of pipeline. If you're looking at the scientific, uh, you know, <laughs> tech world, um, so, you know, in France, you're doing your baccalaureate, um, 50%, 50%, you know, uh, in the science uh, baccalaureate is female, you know, it's in the male. And then you go out and then you've got those, uh, you know, classes that get you to the uh, engineer schools, uh, the scientific classes. And then you all of a sudden it drops to 30%. And we don't know why. Is it that image of the nerd? <laughs> you know, why don't women get into that? Um, and then you reach those engineer schools, uh, which really are anti-chamber of power. I mean, it's not the only anti-chamber, but it's one of them. Um, and then it's 26% all of a sudden. And so it just keeps on dropping and dropping. I believe that the number um, within the French tech world for tech companies in those departments, it's 18% of women. Um, so that is one of, the, you know, also one of the reasons. And the third one I would give is what the book is trying to tackle is the lack of representation, which you were, um, you know, talking about earlier on. And especially, I mean, being a woman at this stage is very exotic. <laughs> <laughs> But try to add other types of diversity if, you know, maybe they're not for France. Maybe they're not, maybe they have a different background. A lot of them do, and that's great. We're all a melting pot. Maybe they're gay. Maybe they have an handicap. Maybe they didn't, you know, go to a specific school, and so on. And if you add more and more diversity, there are definitely no role models out there that are being in the media. I'm sure there are plenty of, you know, but they're not in the media. And I think it's important um, to show them for people to be able to like project themselves. Um, and um, yeah, and just to say, well, actually, that might be something for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Have you had the opportunity to reflect, especially on this pipeline level, maybe some of the ways that you think we could do more to encourage young women and girls to follow that path? I think it's education. Um, I think, you know, it was uh, Nathalie Bois-Latour who is, was the head of the uh, French Football Federation for a while. And uh, she said there was a stat or <laughs> in kindergarten, only 20% of the space is occupied by, by young girls, you know, by kids. And the rest is occupied by, by boys. Um, and I think it just, it's, It's very earlier on. Uh, if TV, if series, if, you know, books, if uh, around them they see female CEOs uh, if, as role models, uh, they're just going to think it's normal. So I think it's all about education and representation, unfortunately. Um, I do believe in quotas as well. Um, I know it's not necessarily politically correct to say, uh, but we did have the uh, the uh, Zimmerman law, which uh, passed in 10 years ago in France, which tackled uh, the boards. And now in France, you got 40% of women in the boards It actually worked. <laughs> we're, you know, we're the best in class. So you talk about that side of, of finding these role models, like you were saying, they're not in the media all the time um, and you found 52 of them. So one woman for each percentage of the French population, which I think is great. How did you actually choose which women you were going to interview and, and find them? 
Well, I had this uh, first uh, pool, if I can say, of like about 10 to 15 women that I interviewed with uh, Madame. Um, and after that, I decided to do an Excel sheet with <laughs> all the types of diversity that I was going to need. So obviously I wanted to have CAC 40, but I also wanted to have, you know, startup. Uh, but I also... Um, I, you know, I just wrote down all the types of diversity that I could think of. Um, so I wanted women that were mothers and women that chose not to be mothers. I, I wanted women that didn't have kids. I wanted heterosexual uh, members of the LGBT community. I wanted uh, people that came from the countryside and people mm -hmm. that always lived in Paris. Obviously, all types of origin, you know, ethnically, like, you know, it just so that people that could, you know, look at them and say like, hey, I kind of look like mm -hmm. her. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so that was that wasn't easy, uh, but it was so necessary. So you had women CEOs from nearly every industry. They managed companies between 2000 and 420,000 people, and they spanned the ages of 28 to 68. But despite their many differences and their unique qualities, these women certainly have must have something in common to have made it to the top place. Um, could you share with us a few of what the commonalities are between these women? I did find six points that are common and I can share a few. The first one which really spoke to me was every female CEO that is climbing that ladder within the corporate world has her hand on the cash flow at some point. Um, so there really is an antechamber of power uh, within those corporate worlds. Women are typically, you know, usually in communications, PR, <laughs> marketing, or HR. These are supporting, or maybe even legal. These are supporting roles that are spending money. That's where usually the women are. Um, Meanwhile, the antechamber of power, if you want to make it to number one, is the financial uh, bit, the financial department, or the commercial department. Um, so you have to handle a PL at some point, <laughs> uh, and you have to handle cash. And I think that's important to say, um, because these roles are usually masculine. Uh, most of the time. Uh, so that was one of the, you know, one of the biggest learnings that I had. Um, I mean, not surprisingly, they all have a big, huge network and it's hard to network. Meanwhile, I think we can all, you know, help or be helped by someone, whatever, whatever your seniority level is. And that's Fabienne Arata, who is the head of LinkedIn France, who told me that. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. If you're looking at Roxane Daza, who is the head of uh, Station F, Station F is the biggest startup campus in the world, and it's right here in Paris. She was this American student who just arrived in Paris and she was interested in something called startups <laughs> because she was from the Silicon Valley um, and she wanted to know more about the French startups. Um, she had no idea how to, you know, get in touch with that ecosystem. Um, so she started a, uh, a uh, magazine, a student magazine, which was called Tech Baguettes. Um, Soon enough, TechCrunch looked at her and you know, thought, oh, maybe she can do articles for us. So she ended up just, you know, all for free. It was a side project, um, just doing articles uh, for TechCrunch. And then eventually, um, you know, she met all the ecosystems. She met Xavier Nel, who is the head of Free. Free is 
a massive telecom company in France. And eventually, 10 years later, he appointed her at the head of Station F when he created it. And I think that's a very good example because she started as a side project. She met the people who shared her passion on a non-economical transaction, you know, um, uh, way. And I think that was very, that's a good way of doing things. I could share one last one. Um, as we say, so it's not the glass ceiling, it's a glass cliff. I think all of us maybe know the glass ceiling. That's something that you hit at some point and in your career, you're not sure how to, you know, move forward. The glass cliff is a concept which I learned during this interview. I didn't know about it. Um, And it's really the fact that women do not climb vertically. They're going to go horizontally. Uh, They go for um, jobs that are uh, difficult, that are risky, that men do not want (laughs) because they are too risky. And that's a way they hack the system. That's a way they climb through that ladder. And I have so many examples that, you know, just came back and back and back throughout these interviews. Um, so, for example, Alexia Larojoubert. Alexia Larojoubert is a very famous TV producer here in France. And there was this, um, so right after Big Brother, <laughs> for better or worse, <laughs> on French TV, there was the equivalent of, first for the first time, the equivalent of Big Brother, which was called Le Loft. And that was a TV show that no one wanted because it was so scandalous. It was so risky. We're, you know, at the beginning of the, you know, 2000s and, and, and no one wanted to produce that TV show. But she knew that that's where it was happening. Um, so she fought for it, and it, even though it was a risky move for her to do, she produced it. It was a huge success, changed you know the TV landscape forever in France. And after that, she created her own company, and now she's producing the best top-viewed TV shows here. I'm really glad that you shared that one, because when I was reading it in your book, it actually, it reminded me of a very similar story that we heard on one of our other podcasts called We All Make Mistakes. We interviewed Dame Inga Beale, who was the first female CEO of Lloyd's of London, major insurance company, in their 300-year history. First female CEO. And she talked about her career and some of the choices she made. And on numerous occasions, she accepted positions where she was told, why <laughs> are you accepting that position? Like, that's risky. You might not succeed. You need to turn this company around. Like, don't take it. And she and, and she did. And she did turn the company around. And Inga, when we spoke with her, Inga Bill, she mentioned, and I think, I mean, maybe you can comment on what these women said drove them in those moments because it's scary taking big risks like that i completely understand not wanting to but it sounds like from her experience and what some of the examples you've just given that it often comes down to trusting your gut i don't know for you if you heard any other examples of like why they made those choices that were risky i don't think they had a choice you know and i i I do have a thought for uh charlotte de villemorin charlotte has been in a wheelchair since birth and you know she is my age she's 34 i believe and when i spoke to her um every year she's losing a faculty um i mean you know that has been her life and I, I said, why did you create your company? And her company is called Willys. Um, so it, it gives the opportunity for everyone to rent uh, cars that are adapted to wheelchairs. You thought that would have been exist, you know, that would have been a thing for years. It turns out it didn't exist. 
in France alone, there are 12 million people that are at some point in their life are going to need a wheelchair. Um, I mean, that isn't a minority. <laughs> that is 12 million people. Um, and I asked her, you know, why did you do it? And she said, because I didn't have a choice. And what happened was she was going to a wedding, uh, one of her best friends. And, you know, she was in that train and she just couldn't find a car that was adapted to her wheelchair to go to the reception. So what do you do? <laughs> you know, um, the, you know, and so she created her company. Well, these women and you bring up so many of them as examples for us. So thank you so much for sharing those stories and helping us hear, even in this podcast, a few of the of the anecdotes and the lessons that these women have taught you and have taught the people who read your book. Um you found 52 of them. And I'm curious if you could add a 53rd woman to this list and someone who for you has been a role model in your life, who would that be? That's a tough one. Um, on a personal basis, it has to be my mother, uh, obviously, uh, who, you know, um, was at home for a long time. She wasn't a desperate housewife, but she was a housewife. Uh, she is a housewife. And now she's a mother. She's a grandmother. And she is our patron. Uh, you know, our, our, she's our, our boss. She's a family boss. She handles all of it. <laughs> and God knows that's a hell of a, you know, that's a hell of a job. Uh, so I think we also have to celebrate these women uh, because that is, um, it is a job that you know, doesn't get enough recognition, I think. Um, on a professional basis, I have to quote uh, Iris Knobloch, who was the first female CEO who I've come across to in, in, in my professional life. Uh, she was a head of Warner Brothers in France. Now she is a head of the Cannes Festival. Um, and, you know, I it was my first internship after school. Um, I, you know, I landed a Warner Brothers internship, which was exciting. And usually in the, especially in the cinema world, I mean, actresses are the role model. That's, you know, that's what you want to be. Um, and coming across Iris, I realized that that's not where the power was. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, I have this amazing woman uh, who, and I thought, wow, that's what I want to do when I get old. Thank you so much again for sharing this these lessons from your book and these women's experiences with us. And it's clear a lot of these women throughout their careers have learned to find their voice and you have too. And we like to close our podcast with the same question. And I'm hoping you can answer this from your own experience. What advice would you give to others who are looking to find their voice? I think the hardest thing in life is to find yourself. Um, and that's, you know, that's a lifetime <laughs> mission, really. Um, for me, what happened was I, um, I did what was expected. Um, uh, you know, and, and I grew up, all my friends in, in Lyon, they all became nurses. And then in Paris, they all became, you know, heads of communications. And then, and it, you know, there's some like a social, reproduction and it wasn't expected for me to create my own company or to write a book or or, or any of it really um and at some point um every time that I was watching someone that was doing what I really wanted to do there was this thing in my stomach uh like a little you know <laughs> like Ugh. and uh I think that was something that guided me um and it, eventually I was lucky enough 
um, to not have a choice, to just to move forward and um, and to actually go for it. Some things you just have to do. Um, so follow that little thing in the stomach that, you know, that wakes you up at night. I think. <laughs> Thank you, Elodie. So going to trust that feeling in our guts that these women in their past have also followed and, and just commit and go for it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me here in the studio, taking time uh, between your travels between the UK and France. We are so happy to have had you and looking forward to your next project. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of Her Voice powered by ESCP Business School's media, The Choice. We appreciate your time and hope you enjoyed learning about women leaders with Elodie Andrio and now feel more inspired than ever to take on any personal or professional challenge that may present itself. This is Her Voice Season 2's last episode, but we'll surely be back soon with more amazing guests. Stay tuned. If you're a keen listener and have already given us five stars or subscribed to the show, don't hesitate to tell other people who might enjoy it as well. Thank you to the team behind Her Voice, my co-producer, Jean Weckler, our agency, You Love Words, and the recording studio, Leria Boutique. <laughs>